0: You need Indeed.
1: The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike here with Sam. How you doing, Sam?
2: Ladies, gentlemen, welcome to hell. We (laughs) will be your pilots for the next hour. Talking about, I don't know, Mike. For like
1: half of our normal
2: audience. (laughs) For probably half of our normal audience. I don't blame those people who are tuning out. It's kind of difficult at the moment. And this Uh was... Look, man, hopefully we look back and we say that this was rock bottom. <laughs> but yeah. this was I mean, it's, we- it's December eleventh. Yeah, this was the week from hell for Son's fans. It really it was. Just was. They're, they're, it, yeah, it was tough. It's tough.
1: It's it it you know, it's started with Dallas and Boston, but I think ending it with New Orleans like peaking. <laughs> they're just absolutely peaking right now. Uh really Uh, was the capper to the week because they're playing really well and the Suns are I mean for one now we know Devin Booker is injured now the extent to which he was injured previously is up for debate I think he rolled his ankle pretty badly in the Dallas game and hasn't really played well since then now there appears to be some sort of hamstring injury which you can have a conversation by the way of if he wasn't playing with a rolled ankle maybe he wouldn't have a hamstring injury Uh, but either way I think we have some sort of answers as to why he was playing the way he was playing, which was just not great. And uh, also Chris Paul coming back, the lack of Jay Crowder, which I want to do—I do, do want to talk about actually at this point. And you know, obviously no Cam Johnson, all of that—it just—it just turned into a horrible week. I think the Suns basically played the best team in in the in the West, which is the Pelicans right now, as yeah. of right now, mm-hmm. and the best team in the league which was the Boston Celtics, along with their demons in Dallas, all in the same week, where which also coincided with the week where Devin Booker wasn't right. I mean, all of that combined, I think it was just a disaster through and
2: through and through. It was hell <laughs> for many, many reasons. By the way, I hope Pelicans fans are enjoying probably what I would describe as their last few months here of being league darlings, because if you look at the way that people are talking about the New Orleans Pelicans right now, they're still, they're the first seed in the West. And and hey, we said before these two games, by the way, or at least I said, and, and I think you were right there with me as well, like that's the team to be worried about in the Western Conference yeah. right now. I mean, I bet on it. And you <laughs> yeah. did bet on it. And I think, yeah. no doubt, if you're going to see any team in the Western Conference Finals this year, it's, I mean, like maybe, you know, the Grizzlies or the Nuggets or someone else makes a scrappy run yeah. and like gives them a series in the second round. But barring a catastrophic Zion injury, they're gonna be in the Western Conference Finals. Fully Yeah, if you're but if you're th- counting
1: on fully healthy teams you can you can bet on the Pelicans, you know, unless they just match up with the Warriors but a little too early and Steph's on fire. As that
2: relates to the Pelicans fan base, let me just say <laughs> enjoy your last few months of being spooky. Of right. being, oh you guys you guys really got something there cooking. Oh how fun. Mm-hmm. Isn't it so fun to watch the oh my God, it's so nice that this franchise has right it ends the second you win your first playoff series in April. Especially if it's against the Lakers or the Warriors. And they're making <laughs> enemies and they're talking yeah. a lot of shit and their fans are saying some crazy things in the stands against yeah. their objectively best player of all time. And man, I can tell you from experience, the narrative flips fast. So I, just, I hope they enjoy it. That's all I have to say about that. But that's going to be the team right there. And it's gonna be tough, no doubt about it. They are fantastic from a basketball standpoint.
1: And well coached. And 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 the Pelicans players and fans treating these two games against the Suns as the most important games of the season for them is admirable. But also pretty funny. <laughs> it's the Sun you know, it's the Suns. You know, it's kind of funny to be on the other side of that because the way that you and I and I think most Suns fans thought of the Pelicans game going into this it was more about this season than it was last playoffs it was the Pelicans are really good they clearly have we talked about it the second best net rating in in the west probably the best at this point and it was more about that you know it, and for them they the way Alvarado talked about it as this sort of
2: revenge game for the playoffs like he was an anime it is what it is you know like it was his entire personality (laughs) it was his yeah his arc all he had done for the past 18 months was i don't know lock himself in a dungeon somewhere and train to be able to beat chris paul specifically it was (laughs) and it was an anime arc that's the way he was talking about say
1: he refused to say chris paul's name like, he wouldn't even say his name like he was Voldemort or something. <laughs> like, it's just a really bizarre really bizarre thing in the way that they think about the Suns. And I do think it is, you know, for, for, for me, thinking about it from the perspective of the side that we're on now, which is the Suns, of course, uh, it, it did kind of remind me of the years where the Spurs were still good and the Suns weren't in some respects. Now, this is no disrespect to the Pelicans because we just spent a lot of time talking about how good they are, but... I think there was moments in time where the Spurs had all of these teams in mind with like who they needed to learn how to beat and, and how they could succeed in the playoffs. And then the Suns were going into these games against the Spurs, and all Suns fans cared about, and even to some extent the players, was beating the Spurs on these nights where <laughs> that was the most important time because of all of the times that the Spurs had vanquished the Suns in the past,
2: and you know the Spurs are
1: probably thinking right. we don't yeah, like these games don't even matter to us give anymore. A shit. Like we they did not yeah. <laughs> give a shit. But I will
2: say just to draw the contrast between the two situations, the Pelicans, the Pelicans are good. The Pelicans gave, absolutely gave the Suns reason to give a shit. Now I will say, yeah. Alvarado, he's gonna do his like little antagonizing thing. He is legitimately having a good season. He has been good. We've seen him go off in some games for thirty plus points. Ultimately, he's not. He's not putting the Pelicans on the map. <laughs> uh, he's not the reason that they're there exactly. The reason starts uh, with Zion Williamson. And just like, I think the most amazing thing about the past two games is watching the Suns. It's It's almost frustrating to speak about it, Mike, because actually I, w- I wanted to ask you if you felt like from a coaching standpoint, what was your opinion on the past two games? Just to give yeah, my take that's on a good that, question. Yeah. as it relates to it, their attempts at stopping Zion... I felt like the Suns basically threw everything they possibly yeah. could out there and I and I thought yeah, they were there were adjustments made, right? Uh, there were adjustments made from game one to two and mid game as well. They were quite mm-hmm. versatile, I thought, in their approach. Uh and I thought, you know, even I mean, he still shot, he still had thirty points in both games and shot ninety percent. And yeah. and you really see what superstar, because that's what he is. As long as he's healthy, you can you really see what superstar gravity does for a team. And then when you surround mm-hmm. that superstar and you benefit from that gravity, uh, and you surround him with talent, multiple guys who can all shoot, they can all Great. shoot, they can all shoot. Most of them can put the ball on the floor and dribble. And when you one or, one or two, yeah, when you surround them with the right talent, I mean, and and the ones who can't are like even their bigs, you know, like Larry Nance and whatever, like they've got other connectors on the floor. Right. Even, yeah, they're finishers, too. They, they, they have covered all of the archetypes. Yeah. They didn't even have Brandon Ingram. They didn't, and Herb Jones, their best defender. It felt to me like, frankly, a pretty well-coached pair of games, but just not enough talent. Well, I'll go even further than
1: that. I think the, in this second game, I think the Suns played pretty well. I mean, like... I mean, D.A. had a great game. He was locked in. Put up the stats. He played good defense, you know, as as good as you can play against Zion Williamson. I think he was rebounding the ball well, finishing well. Mikael Bridges was hitting shots. You know, Chris Paul, there is some new level setting that needs to be done with the expectations of what Chris Paul is and what he can be. But for what I expect out of him at this point, he's 38 years old, or whatever he is, 37, 38, turns 38 this year, I think. Uh, he played well for what he is now, you know, especially coming off of injury. He's thirty-seven. And the Suns still
2: lost. Thirty-seven for about hundred fifty more days. I just looked. Yeah, there
1: you go. Um, and so, you know, I I think the Suns actually played well and still lost, and 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 in a game where they're fighting back. And yes, they they were missing Devin Booker, you know, but you can make the case for the Pelicans missing other Pelicans didn't ball. have and, Ka- and Cameron Johnson for yeah, the Suns, sure. Um, and Jay Crowder, actually, Jay Crowder. Let me just talk about him real quick. Would have made a massive difference in these two games, and in and in just in general this season, I think he would have made a big difference for the Suns just being a large defender, which they don't don't have many of. But the other part I think I wanted to point out with Jay Crowder is now I think the Suns are now two and six in the clutch, um, you know, just two and six this season in the clutch, which is bad. A lot of that is related to Chris Paul being out, and I think the rest of the Suns trying to rally around what Devin Booker's capable of doing, but other teams basically just forcing the ball out of Devin Booker's hands in the clutch and other guys having to make plays. But the Suns get a lot of attention for what their offense was in the clutch last season, like a lot, because it was great. But the other side of the clutch statistics for the Suns was that they just locked down defensively over and over and over again. 2 3 stops in a row and all of a sudden the game's over. And Jay Crowder had a lot to do with that. He made a lot of great plays in the clutch and rarely made mistakes in that area of the game. And him missing for the Suns, you know, outside of just being a guy that you could throw at Zion for a few possessions is is it matters. But the other side of that is just the fact that he was so locked in with his teammates and so smart in the, the clutch scenarios that the Suns found themselves in last season. That's something that I think is, is just an underrated loss for the Suns so far this season. And it's bizarre to talk about it like that because he could be playing right now. He's just not due to whatever weird decision has been made between him and James Jones. And and look, the clock is on for James Jones at at this point. The clock's been on. <laughs> <laughs> clock has well, I think, been I think on four losses James in a row James. four losses in a row where yeah, it has a way of you f- can sort of see how it was wearing down Devin Booker exactly you know hamstring ankle whatever you want to say it's it's
2: just a different level of well that that's kind of how I view this entire season so far so I'm glad you said that actually because I think most of us at least we definitely have seen the issues with this team all along we talked about it that at the very beginning of the season that the holes on this roster were obvious. That doesn't mean that it wasn't nice to be 20 games into the season and be 16 and 6 or 16 and 7 whatever they were and kind of be able to pretend that for at least a little while that those holes weren't there because you were just blowing out team after yeah. team after team. Yeah. You can't ignore it anymore. After four losses and specifically four losses where all of them are potentially uh playoff opponents for you. Pelicans, that could yeah. be a Western Conference Finals matchup. Mavs, you'd probably see them in round one or two. And the Celtics, round definitely. Round one, it could be four or five, yeah. Yeah, and and the Celtics, definitely NBA Finals contenders. So, yeah. you know, yeah. favorite. So the Suns don't point. have to worry about them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, potentially you could I say do that, think, but.
1: In some, way, in some ways, it's almost a blessing in disguise because there is just there has been excuses for James Jones to sit on his hands in the past. You know, uh, the Suns made the Finals. We can't make a trade now. You know, even though I was asking for it and you somewhat agreed, I think, at the time. And then halfway through the next season, well, the Suns are having their best season ever. They're on a historic win pace for the Suns. They had 17 games in a row. Well, now we just got to keep this team together. Maybe bring Torrey back and see what we can do. Okay, yeah, those two seasons, you can say, okay, he believed in the team. He believed in what they had. Monty Williams values continuity and keeping guys together. He does. Fine. There's excuses there. There's zero now. There just is zero excuses to not make moves. Now, the one thing that is the problem with this is other teams have to agree too. And that's one of the hardest parts, I think, about finding reasons and ways to evaluate the performance of a general manager because we're coming up to a point. I was going to save this for later, but we're coming up to a point, December 15th. This is a date that we have talked about time and time again on this podcast. And it is the date that newly signed players, most of them, except for extensions, can be traded. This is the majority of free agents that signed before this last season. So you're looking at not a list of like
2: great players, really, except for I don't know. I guess you can count
1: there, James Harden. There would be a co- <laughs> is on that list. There would
2: probably be a couple, but mostly you're talking about guys who give you the flexibility to complete deals in the exactly. first place, which is very important. Smaller salaries, most in most cases. Right, ninety percent of the league will be trade eligible as of December 15th. That is not something that we could say up until this point. Up until this point, every roster had five or six guys who were not, you know, sometimes more, who were not trade eligible. And a lot of that is going to change on December 15th. The last holdouts, the extensions, will come on January 15th. We're on our way. As of today, I think we should just kind of try to
1: just re-level set in general. Because as of today... The Suns have played one-third of the season. That's It's crazy. been a third of the season. Crazy to crazy. Yeah. Me. Yeah, so we are at the point, I think, now where you could try to, and I think you and I should try right now, try to evaluate what the team is, either based on our previous expectations and how they line up to those things, or just on a general thought of seeing them play because it's it is a it is an odd season to try to evaluate right the first nine or so games or whatever the team was healthy for they looked really great then there was the stretch without Cameron Johnson where Chris Paul was still playing and they still looked pretty good and then there was the stretch with Devin Booker and no Chris Paul and no Cameron Johnson and they looked pretty good and then it all kind of came off the rails (laughs) and it's just it's it's kind of come crashing down And I think all of those things are who the Suns are, (laughs) which actually, in my opinion, makes this conversation kind of hard to have because they were that good team to start the season. They also were that okay or to pretty good team uh, post Cameron Johnson and, and Chris Paul. And they also are this team that got their ass kicked four times in a row. And I think that. The interesting thing, I guess, I'll ask you. I'll let you go here. Sure. (laughs) What What do you think it is? Just all of that combined. How do you evaluate
2: what this team is now that we see it a third of the season? What do I think the Suns are? A third of the way into the season. I mean, yeah, I think my evaluation hasn't changed all that much from the beginning, from what I would have told you two months ago. And I also, once you build up this much of a sample size after twenty five games, you know, I, I tend to trust the stats too. What the stats would tell us right now is that the Suns are a top five team in the NBA. That doesn't mean that they are number one, two, three, or four, <laughs> however, necessarily, you know? Like, I think the Suns are approaching a point where even if they have all of their guys healthy, and I understand that they haven't, I think they are in the back half of the top tier of teams currently in the NBA, which is to say I think they're really, really good. I think they could rattle off maybe even win streaks of 8, nine, ten in a row once they get Cam Johnson back. They could win a lot of games in the regular season. My honest perspective at this point with where we are right now if changes do not come is that there are three teams in the league where if you put the Suns up against those teams in a series, those teams are the New Orleans Pelicans, the Boston Celtics, and the Milwaukee Bucks. For me, those are the three teams. The list could be different for you. I would not pick the Suns as of today. I would pick them against 26 other teams in the NBA.
1: Interesting. Interesting. So you, you feel confident the Suns can beat the Warriors right now?
2: I don't feel confident, but I feel like they... You'd pick the Suns. It might be a 51-49. I, I would okay. favor the Suns yeah. in that series, assuming that Cam Johnson is healthy and and Devin Booker. And, yeah, I don't even think they need to... I mean, I'm not saying it would happen. I'm just, yes, I would favor them. Um, the three okay. teams that I would And not, that's fair. I mean, you have to... If you're, if you're trying to say
1: this is who the Suns are, then I think you can look at the the stats for the Warriors and and say that's who they are,
2: I just don't know that I would agree. That's fine, but there are three teams who I do not favor them against currently, and for those three teams specifically, and possibly other teams like you're talking about, possibly against, you know, I mean, if possibly against the, the Warriors, possibly against the Grizzlies, possibly against maybe the Clippers revive themselves finally, who knows? There are all sorts of things that could happen, but at least against the three teams that I'm talking about, there is no internal solution You're not going to find it within yourself. You're not just going to get guys healthy and then run into them like a wall. These teams that have these freakish seven-foot superstar athletes that's just, you know, are stacked at every position. It's just not going to happen. You need external answers or it's just not going to happen.
1: I, um... How do I put this? I think that maybe the Suns are closer to a team like the Mavericks than they are a team like the Pelicans or something like that. Well, that or sounds, the Warriors that sounds dire <laughs> <to some. laughs> when you and put here's, it like here's that. Here's what I mean. Here's what I mean by that. They're, they're a one star team. They have one star. And as much as we say, well, these other guys and what they can do matters. It does. And you know, they, their role players are really good role players. They're role players. You know, <laughs> that's what they are. They're just really good ones, you know, so that means that what I think we've seen is that they can, you know, they can tread water without Devin Booker, you know, and I think that's probably the ceiling of what they could do without Devin Booker. They're not garbage, and I think maybe if you're talking about the Mavericks, you can say that the Mavericks may be garbage without Luka. It'll be interesting to see what, if he ever misses time, what they do, but... DeAndre and Mikael Bridges are the two. You know, you can say Chris Paul, but look, at some point, if you guys are getting really disappointed at the performance of what Chris Paul is this season, I just don't know what you expected <laughs> from Chris Paul as he got older. This is what I expected. I expected him to get slightly worse every season that he's been on the Suns until he retires. And and I just don't have really high expectations. Every once in a while, he'll turn back the clock, and he'll have a great game, and you'll be like, wow, Chris Paul's great. And then other times, he'll just run, pick, and rolls. He'll run walk the ball up relatively slowly. He'll make the right reads and, and
2: be like a really good point guard, but not a star. Just, and that's just what he's going to be. I, I completely agree as it relates to Chris Paul. Just to defend the other guys who you're kind of calling role players a little bit and, you know, agreed, generally speaking, but if we're drawing a comparison to the Mavs, who are much worse, yeah, they're better. Aiden, they're better Aiden, than them. I mean, Aiton and Bridges combined for 55 points tonight against the Pelicans. Yeah,
0: Just stressing and, again, and, the
2: Pelicans and, are really fucking good and what what Bridges and Ayton did tonight would yeah. be enough against 24 25 NBA teams. It's not enough. If, if Booker was playing well, right? Yeah. It's not uh, Yeah, I mean even no, but even if Booker wasn't playing, the Suns yeah, win. Though, okay, I get what you're saying. The Suns win this game against most NBA teams if everyone plays how they did. Yeah, but they also don't do that every night.
1: You know, well, like, sure, and I think that's and that, I think, is the main difference. You can get that from them every once in a while. You get that from them. You know, Corey Brewer had a 50-point game. <laughs> you know, there's And I'm not comparing them to them. But what I mean is NBA players can pop off on different nights. But the difference between an NBA player popping off on different nights and, and a star is consistency. That's the biggest difference. And, and I just don't – I think that we sort of need to – to me, I think that we have – I can be confident – that the Suns are a one-star team. And if you believe that one of those other guys can turn into a star, you have higher confidence in them than, than me. And, you know, that can be tough depending on how you evaluate them. I know there are people that think Aiton could be it. I know there are people who think Mikhail Bridges can be it. I think if you look at what the Suns are right now, they're not. And, and I think that's kind of how we have to look at it. And, you know, you look at other teams in the league. We talk about the, the Boston Celtics, Jason Tatum, lead for MVP. He has a teammate averaging 27 points a game. You know, we, if you look at the even the Cavs right now, with your favorite Donovan Mitchell Mike's yeah, Cavs Don- the listeners well, of the timeline Mitchell-
2: always give me shit when I try and talk up other teams well these are Mike's Cavs baby
1: okay, you know it helps when you're when your other team is in the east I feel like you know the people are less angry about it probably but <laughs> you look at the Cavs and you think I keep thinking, wow, Donovan Mitchell's playing well, but he's like not playing that well when I watch him. And then I look at his stats and he's averaging like 27 points a game. And then you look at his teammate, his teammate could average 25 and 10. That's like a real thing that he could do. He's playing with another guy who could average 25 and 10. And then Zion is Zion and then he has Brandon Ingram, right? And then he has Jose Alvarado if you're Bill Simmons. Well, he has CJ <laughs> because he's a starter. He does too. have CJ McCollum.
2: Which, who he is does maybe have CJ McCollum.
1: Yeah, and you know like the Suns don't really have that. And, and there are moves that can be made. There are things that can be
2: done. Well, just, just to demonstrate, to recycle a stat that I tweeted earlier that I think like some other people have probably seen from various sources at this point. But obviously, there's a lot about Kyle Kuzma going around right now. Um, I don't know if you wanted to like specifically talk about it at some point in the pod. We don't need to do it right this second. Kuzma's going off, though. He's averaging mm-hmm. 21 points per game this season mm-hmm. Devin Booker it I thought this was insane like it's logical when you think about it when you actually go through each season in Booker's career but Devin Booker has never had a teammate who scores as much as Kyle Kuzma's averaging this season, 21.4 points per game. As of this morning was the exact stat. The closest Booker has ever had was Eric Bledsoe, who averaged 21.1 points per game when (laughs) Devin Booker was 19. (laughs) And since then he's had TJ Warren who maxed out at 18 or 19. He's had Deandre Ayton who's maxed out at 18 uh, I'm trying to think if there was any... He had Chris Paul one season, I think, was the second. The finals year was Chris Paul was the second-leading scorer at 16. Mm-hmm. Not to say... And they're winning. Not yeah. to say that you import... Because, again, the Kuzma conversation, I think, is important. Not to say that you just import this guy who's averaging 21-22 and that, oh, all of a sudden, all the math works out and you know all the lineups are perfectly optimized and, oh, okay, it was that easy. Now we're winning a championship. It doesn't work like that, but... Obviously there is a certain level of yeah. scoring talent that is missing from this roster mm-hmm. right now that no matter how good the vibes are, no matter how awesome the chemistry is, no matter how many .5 spunky role players you have, right. top to bottom, it's not gonna make up for the fact that you don't have scoring.
1: The only, The only scenario where a team kind of wins like that in the modern NBA was what, the 2014 Spurs? And they had Kawhi Leonard and they had Tim Duncan, you know. I mean, define the modern NBA, like where the and yeah, because that's exactly right, right? That's kind of the end of, <laughs> that's kind of the end of what basketball was before compared
2: to what it is. Yeah, now I would say definitely and in the past 10, 15 years, yeah, they're the only one.
1: Yeah, and and this is to say that you can win a championship like that, you know, it's possible technically, but it's just not likely. It's really hard, and you know, I I think when Trying to figure out what the Suns... There's two questions, I guess. You can ask what the Suns can do. I think we, we should now, s- at some point, switch over to a conversation of what the challenges are in improving this team internally, externally, however you want to cover that. But also, I think to to properly set your expectations or my expectations about what the Suns are, I do feel like I almost have to remind myself that they are a team that has one all-star and really a bunch of players who have essentially no
2: chance of making an all-star team this year. We made the case for them in the past. Oh, you flipped on that a lot in the last two weeks. I still think I disagree with that, but keep going. Well,
1: we made the case for them in the past, but even when making those cases, Sam, I think I acknowledge that who are we... Admitting that we're going to be angry didn't make the All-Star team more than who are we talking I mean, I'll, about will we'll make the All-Star team. I think
2: we've got another 15, 20 games left before it's really yeah. coming up on that time where it gets solidified. So it depends how they play. I think Aiton, I just think the, the Western Conference front court. Not so much. It's like I'm not arguing he deserves a starting spot or anything. He hasn't been, yeah. he hasn't been better than Anthony Davis. Obviously, he's not better than Nikola Jokic. I think he could get a spot. I'm I'm not yeah. off the. Yeah, I'm not totally off the Suns could get two. What all-stars. record? What what seed do you think the Suns would have to be for Aiton to get an All Star appearance? I I really need to like just write out a roster because I haven't done it.
1: I think they might have to be the one seed. <laughs> I think
2: top four and it could because happen. they don't give it to centers just because they're centers anymore. No, I know, I know. But top four and he's been player of the week. Again, he was awesome tonight. Like I you know, I don't want to be too hard yeah, on, he was on, really good. on him nope. or Mikhail for their performances. Mikhail tonight. was good too. It's yeah. not their
1: Tory Craig was good. You know, like the starters all were kinda
2: good. It's not their fault. Tory Craig starts did what he could do. Tory Craig, by the way, valiant fucking effort against Zion. Just even trying yeah. to guard him in the first place. I mean, I know we're basically admitting that he can't, but no, he, he can't he on some of those hits he looked like he was I would have been I mean, I would have been dead. A lot of other people bigger than me would have been concussed at the least. Is, yeah. <laughs> there's not a single player that can it. guard him by themselves. It
1: takes an entire team to guard Zion. I mean, we switched eight and and that should have been the best possible matchup, and what did he have? Like thirty-five today? <laughs> you know, like there's no and then he missed like three shots the whole game. There's not much that you can do. Uh, you know, it's very similar to Giannis as far as what you can do. I mean, this is a guy who last season or last time he played a full season had Shaq numbers, 27 uh, points per game on like 65 true shooting or something like that. It's just an insane player to figure out how to guard. But I guess, I guess, I don't know, Sam, the, the chances of another guy making an all-star team are low uh, on this team. Now, this is all, all to say that, I think the Suns and what they're accomplishing with their role players and the guys that they have on this team is still pretty amazing. And they're still really great when they're all clicking and they're all healthy. But I do, th- I in my opinion, I guess, you know, here's what I did, Sam. At the beginning of the season, we did our over-under podcast. I said over for the points of Mikhail Bridges. I said over for the points on DeAndre Id. I said over for the points on Devin Booker, which I think they're all trending to to do that. And then I said under for the wins. And I still feel like that's possible. I mean, to your point. And that the, the way that these guys improve, Mikael Bridges or DeAndre, and I just don't see a path for them improving enough to be that second star that can help Devin Booker out. This yeah. is turning into a get Devin Booker some help podcast, and maybe it should be.
2: Absolutely it should be. <laughs> I mean, we, but we've been we've been there for a while. And and just to your point on the under wins thing, by the way, 16 and 11 is what the Suns are now. Do, do you know what that's on pace for? Do you want to guess? I don't. Do, no. Do, should I no, test your, your math 51? skills? 48. <laughs> yeah. The Suns currently, as of today, and again, it's been the week mm-hmm. from hell, folks. So hopefully. And they're, and they're not healthy. Yeah. They're not healthy. Hopefully, we're looking up from here. But at least as of today, we can say that the Suns are on pace for a season as successful as Goran Dragic and Eric Bledsoe <laughs> in 2013 <2013-14, laughs> 14, who missed the playoffs entirely. Now, maybe right, that's not right. a fair comparison, but that's just where we are today. Yeah how how do they improve
1: i think you sort of were hitting on and i guess this is sort of the point that i'm trying to make as well because there's there's two ways there's externally and there's internally those are the only two options for the Suns at this point either they get better which they will right they get healthy cameron johnson will come back at some point hopefully he'll look like he did previously before the end of the season we have more to talk about with him and you know, Chris Paul will start to. He's already getting better. I think the first Pelicans game he looked amazing. The second Pelicans game, he still seems to be afraid to shoot, but he hit a a go. You know, he had a game tying shot to go to Maybe overtime. one when it mattered, yeah. And he's still doing the thing where he passes the ball well does things that he can do. Um, yeah, all that. Stupid Devin Booker shit. will come back, and you know, all of that will help them to get better. But how much can they improve from what their ceiling is? It's tough to imagine. I think a lot of that, and, and this is some fair pressure and some unfair pressure, but a lot of that falls onto what DeAndre Ayton
2: can be. In terms of.
1: And just any just chance boosting? of them internally improving sure, yeah, that's, their ceiling.
2: Yeah. And, and I think, you know, in some ways we've seen it from DA this season. I understand he hasn't exactly been as consistent as we would have hoped for, but. I mean, this is exactly the problem, right? Like, if you just look at DA's probably last 10 games, I would say maybe seven of them were great. And then Mm -hmm. there were only a couple stinkers. And that's better than we got in the past when maybe only five (laughs) of them would have been good and the other five were stinkers. But, you know, we're trending in the right direction. It's still not enough to be the number two guy um, every night. It's got to be external, man. I mean, it's just we know it has to be.
1: Well, I mean, the Suns have the obvious reasons that it needs to be external. One, uh... Jay Crowder, (laughs) thats like this big elephant in the room in every son's conversation, a guy who's not playing who makes $10 million. And then you have Dario Sharj who is now playing more, right, but sort of fell out of the rotation for a while is now back into the rotation because of injuries. But it's clear not part of the son's future expiring contract. There's another elephant in the room. Landry Shamit is just bad (laughs) most of the time. I'm glad you're with me, by the way. It took took a while. I gave him a chance. I gave him a chance. And, you know, he's just not earning it. It's just I think what what drives me insane is if he's playing hard on defense, which he does most of the time, and, and, you know, he's got defensive limitations, but he plays hard on defense, and launches threes, then we're fine. He's turning down threes, one dribble into a turnover, or one dribble into he turned down a three and passed it to a Jock Landale three, <laughs> a Jock Landale three. Jock Landale made it. Yep. But that should never happen. That should never happen. And and it's just what's what's the point? What's the point of Landry Shamet if he's turning down those kinds of shots? So yes, I'm there with him. And he makes money. He makes money. So right, he he's there. He makes money. So that means they have you know twenty five million dollars of salary, up thirty million dollars of salary basically that they can work with. And uh, and I think that's I think the question is what I think it's tough right I think there's one other thing two other things I think to talk about with this conversation but let's let's focus on this one first the West is kind of wide open and that means that a bunch of teams are going to try to make <laughs> make trades to 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 go on this stretch run on the second half of the season it's not just the Suns no. the trade market is going to be robust this season because there's just no clear favorite well in the west yeah there's uh, yeah i don't know given the, i mean give, you could
2: say it's a pelicans but you're gonna, you're gonna be relying on zion to stay healthy right exactly which is why every team including the suns should absolutely continue to believe that they have a shot they do have a shot um yeah. but yeah there's i mean here we are and I had to just double check the standings real quick as of where they are today. 11 teams, the 11th seed in the West, the Minnesota Timberwolves mm-hmm. are 500. Every team above them, obviously, that means is 500. So that leaves us the Thunder, the Lakers, and the Lakers probably think that they're still in it because they got some yeah. good games out of Anthony Davis. But so the Thunder, yeah. the Lakers, the Spurs, and the Rockets, uh, is anyone else going to be selling? Yeah, it's tough. You know?
1: Right. On the west, I don't know. You know, then you have teams that are struggling in the east, you know, Atlanta I think is an interesting one. Washington, of course, we're, we're going to talk about in a second as far as what they can do. And then all of these teams that are buying, which means the market does not favor the buyers. <laughs> there's a lot of them, and it's a tough situation to be in one. And two, and here's and and you know, this is not a fun one to say, but there's been multiple reports about the Suns and trade markets with the Suns that indicate that they are having trouble in the trade market because they're for sale and that means that it's difficult to do anything that has long-term implications because as it stands right now they're for sale as is an owner is looking at them and, and considering buying them, and yeah, I don't think an owner is going to change their mind based on the trading of a first round
2: pick. I would really, but hope I do not. think
1: maybe the the person selling the Suns are, are probably thinking, "Hey, let's not do anything too crazy before we sell this team. I don't want anything to rock the boat. This is a three billion dollar purchase potentially, and and that there's just been enough reports now where you you have to kind of believe that that's true.
2: I I believe that there is an element of truth to it on the other hand you're talking about buyers and sellers markets you want to talk about real market scarcity how often is an nba team for sale and we are already seeing reports of a lot of interested bidders Throwing down their bids for for the Suns, including from some unsavory characters, we don't have to talk about that uh, aspect. How of funny it today. is it? No, we don't have to talk about it today. I really I don't want to. get No, it to no, that. not that.
1: But Perfect. how funny is it that we are at the point where? We're like, why won't Robert Sarver let us trade this first round
2: pick? It sucks. No, it sucks. But just to counteract the <laughs> This
1: is a guy who we've been mad at trading first round picks for the entire time he's owned the team. To counteract And now we're though. at the point where he's selling the team, and we need him to allow the Suns to sell, to sell essentially, a first round pick but I for think, another player. I think he
2: will, because if you've got eight groups, I don't know exactly how many you, there are. If you have six or eight groups of wealthy investors that are putting down bids of you know this one's throwing down two billion two and a half here we have uh, three billion uh all in with the interest of purchasing the suns is the thing that kills any of their bids really going to be the fact that they traded a 2025 protected first round pick for julius randall or you know i'm just throwing out a random <laughs> obviously my oh yeah we're a real random uh, <laughs> i'm throwing out you know like <laughs> Little name, uh, you you may have heard of him before, but no. I mean 27 points in the first half of the game that they're playing right now. I I hear what you're saying (laughs) about not wanting to rock the boat. From the current owner's perspective, I do still have a hard time seeing how it really kills a deal that is this substantial where the revenue doesn't really, I don't know, I just don't think the, the thing that the owners would be interested in, the bottom line, would really be affected by future first round picks. Here's why. Here's the reality of the situation
1: that we're in. Th- James Jones and even Monty Williams to some extent have to prove that they should stay when a new owner owns this team. So to some extent, it could be the whole idea of it's not just the Suns are trading a pick. It's that the owner that owns the team, it's not their guy trading a pick, right? It's not who they chose. It's not. It's not uncommon for a new owner to buy a team and bring in their own group.
2: It's very and, and it's actually very common. It's super common. I think you could argue it happens James more Jones than James Jones has to prove more than yeah. half the
1: time. James Jones has to prove that he belongs. Uh, as a Montie matter of Williams fact, has to prove that he belongs. Has anyone You know
2: and the players do too. What is what is the Suns record since James Jones got his promotion? <laughs> Bad, I'm guessing. <laughs> considering they lost four games in a row narratives there are all sorts of narratives that we could craft here but yeah it is it's 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 gonna be tough man so the question is we're gonna have a hard time selling them on the whole first round pick thing but there are also various levels of of first round pick giving well how much would you put on the table right now for
1: for a chance for the Suns to be really good this season. I mean, I continue... To, I, I'm throwing... Let's throw KD out. Let's
2: say KD is not available. Yeah, well, that's my, that's my whole thing. So I continue to think that you should absolutely aggressively chase names like Kyle Kuzma and Julius Randle. But I don't see a better name. Like, I'm totally on board with the idea of getting someone better than those two. I'm not sure who is better than those two that's going to be available between now and February. And this, uh, let's just talk about the Kyle Kuzma rumor
1: now then. Kyle Kuzma is supposedly is, is a flight risk for Washington. He's a free agent after this year. And this is what makes his market value kind of interesting. Being a free agent after this year means that if you're the Wizards, there's kind of no reason to not trade him if they think that he's not going to sign there in the future. They can get something for him now and figure out what to do going forward. Now, Kyle Kuzma, there's a question about what the Sun should do. There was an article written by Eric Pincus in the Bleacher Report. It did not appear that this was like an entirely sourced article as much as it was one of those ones where I talked to this other executive that's not involved and here's what he said, which by the way, I hate those. just hate them. People read them as if they're It's just not a report. (laughs) It's just, it's just like here's the gossip I heard from this guy who's slightly more connected
2: than me. It's slop season, man. Like we know it's slop, but yeah, I mean, gives us something to talk about. Get ready for two months of it.
1: The question at hand is in this article: is the Suns could put something together with Cameron Johnson to trade for Kyle Kuzma? And I think the question that Suns fans have to ask, just based on this article alone, which is fair or unfair, because who knows if it actually is, does even come down to that question, is would you trade Cameron Johnson for a guy who's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season? Are you asking? Who is a good player? Are you asking me, or is that just a rhetorical question?
2: No, what do you think? I I wouldn't. I, again, I want to be aggressive in going after Kyle Kuzma. I, I think he's a good player. I don't think he brings the level of shooting or spacing specifically, though, that Cam does. And for that reason, I think Cam continues to have, you know, just outstanding potential in terms of what he can do with the starting unit that the Suns have. So if you're talking about bringing Kuzma into a situation where you already have Cam Johnson and you're just giving them Crowder and picks and another small piece to make the salaries match, fine. Just like so-called... You know, a quote unquote upgrade of replacing Cam Johnson with Kyle Kuzma, that's not actually that much of an upgrade, in my view. Might be a little bit of an upgrade, but it doesn't make a difference in the grand scheme of things of what we're talking about.
1: I the Suns need to shoot more threes in general. You know, this is a problem in the playoffs. They just got they just get outshot by teams over and over and over again, and you can't lose the three-point battle as much as the Suns do and continue to do a great job in the playoffs. It just becomes really difficult when any team gets hot against you. And taking out the guy who started in order to address that and putting in a guy who right now is making about a third of his threes is shooting seven a game in Kyle Kuzma. That's why I was going to say he, not,
2: he actually is shooting a lot of threes. He's just You can't yeah. say he's a better shooter than Cam Johnson. He's just not. He's, be- he's yeah, definitely better at other things, but shooting, he's yeah. not. And,
1: and, and <laughs> I think to add to all that, he could leave for nothing at the end of the year. I think that's like the, the most important part when discussing a, a Kyle Kuzma trade. You, you're talking about being aggressive for Kyle Kuzma. And I think the aggressive trade is Cameron Johnson. And I think the Suns, uh, for the record, my reading of who the Suns are and what they do is they will not do that. I don't think that they're going to do that. Like, how aggressive you and I maybe would be willing to to be in order to trade for Kyle Kuzma compared to what the Suns is an, is an interesting conversation. One first round pick for a, an expiring contract. If you're trading Jay Crowder and Dario Saric or whatever, one first round pick. Yeah, especially if it's this year's, right? Sure. I just then you can yeah you can decide who you want to pay at the end of the season you know Kyle Kuzma or Cameron Johnson you have an, a chance to see both of them I'm 100% on board
2: with that yeah I think it gets more difficult two? well that's yeah
1: yeah <laughs> naturally we or go like a 2027 two then, pick right yeah. like push it out even further he's an he's an unrestricted free agent this is what becomes really difficult in the conversation, I'd put would put a first-round pick. I think I would even be willing to push it out maybe a year or two in the future, which, yes, makes other trades harder, but you can do first available picks. You can, do, you can do different things to try to mitigate that. The Suns can figure out a way to still have some flexibility moving forward, even if they push the pick out a little further. But the question is, is Kyle Kuzma what you want to do this for? And I think for the Suns, to push your assets in the middle of the table in Cameron Johnson at the very least... For Kyle Kuzma, it just feels a little short-sighted to me. And I understand, for the record, I understand people who say I'd rather pay Kyle Kuzma than Cameron Johnson. Specifically because of the injury concern with Cameron Johnson. I think I understand that. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. I can't really get there mentally yet. You're saying... You know, a
2: few more bad losses, maybe I'm there. I mean, we're talking about a guy who has definitely proved himself as a good starting caliber NBA player this season on a team that is not great, but is solid. I don't know, I, I I don't see what's so short-sighted about it anymore, especially if you think about if the alternative is the Suns do nothing and they get they bounced in the second round again this year, or whatever. You know, what is the future of that team that sat on Vers- all of it's- Versus trading Cameron Johnson? That sat on all of its first round picks? this year though like what is the First value round picks of those is picks? different yeah okay i'm yeah, not talking no. about cam johnson in that case i'm talking specifically about the value of these these picks which i agree in a vacuum are valuable but in a james jones front office <laughs> are not with everything that we know that he does and does not value
1: one of them was cameron johnson yeah <laughs> yeah i know but man one of them yeah i mean yeah he's had two picks and, and he traded one for shamit who we now hate so yeah i mean maybe we should just take him out of his hands <laughs> i mean the question is is he trade i mean i hate to do this kind of thing to him now but is he trading a pick that belongs to somebody else uh if the Suns have a new owner in the future and that i think is why you, sometimes an owner an ownership group that's selling a team might be a little wary of trading a future pick like that because it's just who's to say who's making that pick in the future um and 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 that's a tough conversation to be had now okay so i think we're both willing to put a first on the on the table for kuzma now let's have a randall conversation (laughs) when you first introduced the idea of julius randall on this podcast (sighs) many years ago no, (laughs) yeah it feels like in the preseason yeah i've I've aged at least a year since then personally um (laughs) based on the last four games alone you were doing it under the impression that the Suns could kind of fleece them mm-hmm. because he had zero value. Uh,
2: he has more value. He's playing well now. He's actually doing the thing that I thought he was always capable of doing, which on the one hand, and now that's not to say he's first team All-NBA level right now, but no, if you've been keeping track... Julius Randle, actually, in terms of his three seasons as a New York Knicks right now, and I think this just makes sense given that he's playing next to Jalen Brunson, who's actually another talented player, his true shooting percentage is the highest it's ever been for as long as he's been a member of the Knicks. He's at 59% on 22 points per game. A lot of elements of his game seem to have been reformed, uh, including the shot as well over the past couple months, and he is more or less consistently. I, I don't know if I would say consistently cuz it really isn't an every night thing, but you are seeing the box scores of the Knicks are winning games when Julius Randle is scoring 25 or 30 plus points. They're not he's just He's
1: shooting a ton of 3s. They're not too, just empty stats. Yeah. 6.9. I, 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 I mean another Kuzma yeah.
2: type. He's not Career high. He's not the shooter that Cam Johnson is, no doubt about it. But he takes 6.9 three point attempts per game at 34%. That's not bad. That's not that well, that I to me doesn't scream a player who is incapable of coexisting with DeAndre Ayton exactly, on the floor at the same yes, time. Exactly.
1: It's it's not just Ayton. I think a willingness to, to be a, a willingness to turn your game into a player that is more compatible with other stars, you know, not necessarily just DeAndre Aiton, you know, like Devin Booker. If he shoots a lot of threes, it helps Devin Booker out too. If you, if he were on the Suns and, uh, at this point, I think the question of what his value is compared to what the Suns would be willing to give up is is kind of an interesting question, though. Because now would you give up a first-round pick for Julius Randle? I think we can have the same conversation. I think I'd be willing to give up this well, year's first-round pick mm-hmm. pretty easily, personally. Especially because he's signed for multiple years. It's not just this season. Like Kyle Kuzma, it's, it's multiple years for he's him. Got like two, um, he's got
2: three years left, I think. He's got three years left, Again, yeah, including this year. The Knicks... Brass makes it difficult, because on the one hand, I know exactly what Knicks fans think. <laughs> I appeared on Jonathan Macri's podcast, the Knicks Film School podcast, uh, in the preseason to talk about the Julius Randall idea, because I was the only Suns fan, I guess. I mean, there were other Suns fans, but, you know, I was the face of it. It that, was your idea. Of a crazy person. <laughs> a cra- he, yeah. Th- they brought me on, the producer there. They, they brought me on because... The idea was, here is a crazy person who is actually willing to make a trade for this guy. Let's <laughs> talk to him. Let's talk to him. Let's pick his insane mind and see what he has to say. And so we had a whole conversation about it. And I know for a fact, still, based on Randall's play today, that I could go back on Matt Cruz's podcast right now, and I could say to him, take Jay Crowder, take Dario Sharge take Landry Shamit, and a first-round pick. Uh, or, or I guess not exactly that, because I think his salary is $24 million. So it would be like... Crowder, Shamit, and Tory Craig, or something, in a first round pick, they would say yes. They just want a first round mm-hmm. pick. That's what Knicks fans think. Yeah. I don't, I have no idea what their front office thinks because, again, the issue is they're 500. They're playing 500 basketball. They could trick themselves yeah. very well, knowing that it's the Knicks, into the idea that. They don't need to free up minutes and touches and and more reps for all of their young players and and truly commit to developing here, uh, which is what they would be doing if they traded Julius. Effectively, they want to make another run at a at a six or seventh seed in that's the Eastern exactly. Conference. And if that's I the think case, even more
1: than that, Sam, they have a they have a, a boatload of picks, and Julius Randall makes a high salary. They want to upgrade. There, well, what are they going to upgrade for it? They're gonna they're gonna save his salary to go star shopping at some point. I think that's what they're gonna try to convince themselves that they can do. Not saying it's gonna work, but they're they're gonna be in every rumor that you could possibly. In fact, they were in the Kyle Kuzma rumor. <laughs> in fact, actually, interestingly, if Kyle Kuzma goes to other teams, there's I think there's a chance that the Suns sneak in as a third team to try and get other players. For example, the Kings are interested in Kyle Kuzma if Harrison Barnes is moved in a Kyle Kuzma trade, I could see the Suns trying to sneak in and find a way to get Harrison Barnes and send Jay Crowder to the Wizards in that case, you know, and and, and maybe same, if Kyle Kuzma goes to New York somehow, maybe the Suns can figure out a way to get Julius Randle out of that, you know, there are other ways for things to happen here that are three-team trades, but I think the Knicks, they have, what, they have like eight, nine first-round picks that they can trade or something like that it was all talked about during the Donovan Mitchell saga that led to him being traded to the Cavs. And I think they're still kind of looking for someone like that to be maybe a little, maybe they're waiting for Devin Booker to get mad.
2: (laughs) I mean, again, I just, at not having help. It's, it's, they are the franchise that I have so much trouble putting my finger on and, and, and taking their pulse and understanding exactly what they want to do. Because if you look elsewhere around the league or, or in, in terms of other rumors, like supposedly Emmanuel quickly, Is on the trade block for them. He could be maybe Mm. be had for a first round pick. You know, Cam Reddish. See
1: to me that sounds like that sounds like when the Suns traded D'Anthony Melton with Josh Jackson because they just wanted
2: to get rid of Josh Jackson or something. Well, I don't know know who the player here would be that they just want to get rid of. You're talking about Randall Fournier. Ah, Fournier. Fournier. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. How many years? it's, It's like a sweetener. How many years are left on Fournier's deal? One. I, th- I think just one. Yeah, that he's contract got, was in... He's got a team option for 24-25, so really it's just one. He's got one year left at 18, which is horrible. I- <laughs> it's horrible. I remember you and I talking about Evan Fournier before he was signed to the Knicks, and we were like,
1: maybe this is a guy that could sign for the mid-level. The Suns could look at him for a mid-level. I'm still not entirely... Reception. I'm still- And then he signed for $20 million <laughs> on the Knicks. What were they thinking? Okay, but... What were they thinking? I'm
2: still not entirely convinced that he is completely cooked. I still think there might be some value out of out of Evan. But like, to me, if the Suns acquired Evan Fournier right now, which I'm not saying that they should do, but if they did, I think at worst he's a, a, a Landry Shamit who's more expensive, which I get would suck as a as a bullet to have to bite. <laughs> but at his best, I do think you may be, you know, you get a guy who could give you 14, 15 points per game there as a high-volume yeah. three-point shooter who's not giving you yeah. all too much in the way of, of defense or... Um, or even playmaking at this point in his career, but is it better than Shamit? Yes, it is. So, you know, I think there's maybe a third guard situation out there somewhere for Evan Fournier that that could exist. I could see it.
1: Yeah. I don't know if I agree with that, but I think his defense <laughs> might be awful. <laughs> and you know, as much as we attack Landry Shamit, at least he tries defensively. I do think that Evan Fournier, and look, we're way off the rails now talking about Evan Fournier, we are. but uh, uh Evan Fournier Everyone go Google is, Fournier. Is, He's kind of a broke man's Devin Booker. Don't do that. In a way, (laughs) I forgot about that. Sorry. Uh, In that you you should like you should be able to plug Evan Fournier into a lot of the Devin Booker plays, and he would do relatively okay at a lot of those plays because he has a bad version of a
2: similar skill set as Devin Booker.
1: Uh, But yeah, we're talking about Evan
2: Fournier in the Suns' offense right now. We're cooked. Pelicans in five, we're cooked Mavs in six. Like, What are we talking about? We need to the set Pelicans, our sights.
1: Pelicans in five, and then Jose Alvarado can finally stop thinking about the Suns. <laughs> I think he does working out every single day uh, to a montage of watching the Suns uh, eliminate the Pelicans. And Chris Paul's 14 for 14 game. You know, good news for Alvarado, Chris Paul's old. Alvarado is going to win that battle at some point. Chris Paul is going to be out of the league. Ironically, though, Alvarado, if he should like any player, it should be Chris Paul, right? I mean, like, he's kind of a similar... He's clearly not as good as Chris Paul. no. But he's kind of a similar agitator little guy who kind of gets up into the guys and, and just kind of annoys the hell out of them the way Chris Paul did when Chris Paul was young.
2: If they were on the same team they would be best friends you know they they're, they're kind of those kinds of guys yeah i mean it's it's similar to the feuds we had seen you know with various very suns players like devin booker for instance and jay crowder before crowder joined the suns and then yeah. you know gets in the locker room and i look i don't know if jay crowder and devin booker are friends anymore but at least for a, <laughs> at least for a time it uh, it all worked out what do you think Jay Crowder is thinking watching the Suns get
1: smacked three games in a row? You think he's happy or you think he's sad that he can't be out there helping his teammates? I
2: think he's probably happy, man. I, I, right? Because he's like, this proves I'm, I'm the most important player on the Suns. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, then there's that other element. It's, you know, I understand it's a business decision for him. So... Like, do I think he? Do I think he's an Alvarado character who's in the gym 18 hours a day, just thinking about how thinking about the Pelicans? He's all he's doing are box jumps because he's gonna get back out there on the court and he's gonna <laughs> posterize Cam Johnson with whatever team he plays for next. No, I don't think it's necessarily like that with Jay Crowder. I think he's probably still friends uh, with a decent amount of these guys. As as a matter of fact, but. Um, yeah, I, it's a business decision and, and a shitty one at that, but that's just how it is.
1: Um, for those of you who stuck around and listened to all this, sorry for the doom and gloom.
2: Uh, but, you know, sometimes you need to do this. What's so, the doom know. and gloom aspect of it? You know, like, I think, honestly, man, after... <laughs> I, for a week in which they lost four games in a row, some of them horrible. We traded the
1: whole team on our
2: Patreon Okay, podcast. but that was we, a... Tra- that was, <laughs> we traded every player. First of all, that was fun. I had a lot of fun doing yeah. that. I don't regret it one bit. And also it was a, great time. It was a joke. It was it was a joke. Yeah. It was meant to be lighthearted for you know, cause we figured the people who, No, I meant
1: every every single thing I said. The
2: people who <laughs> subscribe to the Patreon are are more <laughs> gentle about those types of things, I think. Yeah. I I had a fun time with that. I don't regret it.
1: The Suns play the Rockets on Tuesday. This is and that's good, right? If they lose to the Rockets, feel free to fully hit the panic button that's two days before december 15th on december 15th they play the struggling los angeles clippers a team that i mean arguably at this point you could say the suns are a struggling team as well they are um but the 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 clippers are as well and then i hate to break this to you sam on the 17th
2: yeah i'm so sick of them (laughs) i'm so sick of them already
1: they play the new orleans
2: pelicans this one at home Well, (laughs) at the very least, (laughs) let's just talk about it from a strategic perspective for a second, though. Like what's nice about it is you're down 2 1 in this Pelican series. You'll be done with it by next Saturday. And so let's say the trade let's say the trade doesn't come until January or February, which if we know uh, stemming from most NBA seasons, it tends to play out that way. You know, just December because December fifteenth is not a day where a bunch of trades happen all of a sudden. No, it's usually sometimes not. Yeah. sometimes there is a trade or two that happens after December fifteenth. Usually ninety-seven percent of the trades that occur before the trade deadline occur in the forty eight like hours. Two minutes before. Yeah. In the forty eight hours before the trade deadline. Like yeah, half yeah. of them are yeah. in the hour before. So yeah. it would be nice to get the season series against the Pelicans out of the way and then go into a potential playoff series with a different team. That, in my view, is an advantage for the Suns that would be pretty cool to see, actually.
1: You don't want to see Kyle Kuzma
2: guarding Zion Williamson on Saturday, December 17th? Not especially. I mean, even if they made the trade on December 15th, Kuzma would not be ready to go by December 17th, I'd say, probably. <laughs> That's right. Who knows
1: if, I mean, we at this point, we don't even know if Devin Booker's going to be ready to go you gotta, and
2: when he'll be ready to go. You've got to pass the physical. you got to fly over. Yep. you got to clear a bunch of...
1: You have to pass the, will you be allowed to date my daughter test by Monty Williams, <laughs> before he gives, which is a very important, before he gives you any minutes, yeah. Before he gives you minutes, before he gives you a contract, I think that's important. How about, in fact, if you pass that test, you can get a contract without
2: even playing minutes. You know who we haven't mentioned once on this pod, who I think we should give a shout out for, for what was a good week for him, actually. Yeah. And the myths of the Suns were in hell this week, mm-hmm. but Josh Okogi was in heaven. And by that he's I mean, earning minutes by well, that Andrew I mean, Shaver played way too much in this last
1: game in my opinion I think Josh Kogi should have played more uh but but he yes, had a career Josh high Josh Kogi's earning minutes he had a
2: career high in that Boston he game had some threes, which was embarrassing multiple threes? yep monty in the presser after that game came out and said yeah I got to find time for him cuz he's earning these minutes his defense continues to be awesome obviously a flawed player not trying to talk this up too much at all you know like Josh Kogi, he is what he is but I've had fun watching him play uh this week in what otherwise was a very difficult week so shout out salute to you josh kogi thank you
1: i think at the very least he gives a shit he gives a shit and he's he's earned his minutes you know <laughs> the sons are missing uh Jay crowder obviously they need sort of an instigator josh kogi's not that by the way just a quick stat i wanted to look up josh kogi shooting 33 percent on pull-up threes and twenty one percent on catch and shoot threes. Nice. Very small sample size of everything. But part of me wonders is if he should only shoot threes off the dribble, because it just looks better when he does do it for some reason. And some guy like Luca, Luca shoots better threes off the dribble than he does catch and shoot. Some some guys just are better at that than they are the other thing. So it is what it is. But there was a concept that we talked about on the Discord of three and knee guys. This is a <laughs> this is a new thing that we're gonna talk about. These are instigators who shoot threes but also will get in there and maybe knee a guy three and knee is (laughs) fantastic that is
2: exceptional isn't it great
1: yeah so the suns need a three and knee guy too so if they can do that at the trade deadline i'd like to see that as well because chris paul can't do that he's too old you can't have chris paul out there instigating he's gonna fall apart at some point uh so figure out how to get a jay crowder replacement maybe kyle kuzma find a three knee guy on the trade market and then we'll see where this team is at but right now i think it's okay to be a little frustrated with them until any trades are made sam you got
2: anything else before we go here hang in there people it's a long season a lot can change from week to week i know december 11th we haven't been having a lot of fun in the past week but uh we're not cooked yet we're not going out like this so thank you for sticking with us and we'll see you soon